Hello everyone, welcome to the Bun Me Chronicles podcast. This is your host, Randy Kim. I am incredibly excited and truly blessed to have our next guest for this episode. Her name is Joanna Lanus. We connected recently after the untimely death of our good friend, Ellen Lau. In sharing our grief, I discovered so much about her advocacy and her candidness in sharing her own experiences with mental health as a suicide survivor. Trigger warning, this conversation will revolve around the topic of suicide and mental health related issues. We had such a great conversation in this episode, and honestly, we could have continued on for an eternity. I am super grateful to Joanna for sharing her experiences and her fond memories of Alan. Furthermore, please check out the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention at www.asfp.org for learning on how you can help to support suicide prevention. There is a national suicide hotline number which is 1-800-273-TALK or www.suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And recently, there is one for transgender folks through the Trans Lifeline, and their number is 877-565-8860. For this episode, I dedicate this to Ellen Lau, who passed away on August 16th of this year at the age of 36. I hope you get a chance to listen to this episode. Thank you. This is Randy from the Bumby Chronicles. So I am here today with my friend Joanna Lanis. And Joanna, how are you today? I'm doing well. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here today. And I was wondering if you can start off by introducing yourself. Sure. So um, pretty much I'm Joanna. I am 36 years old. I am a wife. Um, I've been married to my husband for 10 years. We've actually been dating for 16. Um, I'm a mother. I have two boys, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And, um, you know, one of the things that I really like to focus on is not my career. I mean, I have a great career. Um, I work at a place called the Bradford Exchange and I work in the e-commerce team. Um, But as of lately, I've been kind of focusing more on like what I feel like my life passion is. um, And that revolves around mental health. Um, I am a huge mental health advocate and um, I really love reaching out to people about um, anxiety, depression. I myself have bipolar disorder and, um, you know, I kind of have like a, a lot of trauma in my life history, um, but I think a lot of people can relate to that and, um, you know, just kind of my experience with that is being able to speak about it freely kind of helps take the stigma away, you know, not only for myself, but in the act of um, helping other people not feel alone. So, I mean, I think that's kind of like where I am in my life and it's, it's kind of built up slowly um, uh, over the last couple of years. I mean, I've been doing it. I've had an Instagram account where I kind of talk about, um, you know, mental wellness, physical wellness. And um, it's, it's just been a platform that I feel has been um, something that's kind of cathartic for me and therapeutic and at the same time helping other people. So one of the things, you know, like I said, I kind of discovered is um, really wanting to help people and helping people not feel alone um, and not um, being ashamed of kind of talking about um, a lot of, you know, the mental health issues, you know, especially anxiety that so many of us, you know, nowadays kind of like face. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really important to me. And it's something that I have a, a real passion about. Oh, that's beautiful. And I know, uh, unfortunately, our paths did cross because of an unfortunate circumstance that happened Mm -hmm. on August 16th uh, of this year when our good friend Ellen Lau passed away. Now, without getting into further details and respect for his family, um, Ellen Lau unfortunately did uh, pass of suicide. 
And Alan Lau, to me, was a friend that I knew through my work at Redfin for the past two and a half years. I had uh, done a lot of his work you know, with scheduling and logistics and working with his clients. So I felt like a sense of protectiveness of Alan that I've always wanted to work hard for him. And I feel that looking back, I think about a lot of similarities that Alan and I did share. Uh, we were both born in the same year, we were both Gemini's, born one week apart, uh, both Asian American second generation, went to UIC, uh, which I had no idea for our undergrad. We were both going into education, uh, funny enough, and we were both into dancing. So there was a lot of uh, overlap in our lives, but the way we both carried our lives were in some ways uh, different. Uh, and I'm just very curious to know what was your connection with Alan and um, and also how did his passing in a way awaken to your uh, need to uh, advocate for mental health? Right. Yeah. And, you know, kind of like what I was saying earlier is that it's developed over the years. But, yeah, he, you know, pretty much uh, his path, his passing had uh, affected me a great deal. Um I think to the point where that like I had been sitting on starting a blog um, and kind of getting into more of like what I've been doing with my Instagram and uh, getting more involved with actually, you know, charitable um, organizations. Um, for example, like right now, uh, I'm working with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, but pretty much my history with Alan is I've known, I had known him for 13 years and uh, it was during a time when my husband and I had broken up and I dated a friend of his for a hot minute and, um, you know, it's like there was something about Alan that I was just so drawn to as a person, you know, I, it, it was, he, he was just nothing like I would had thought. Like he was always joking around, you know, like when um, I had worked on uh, a slideshow um, to show uh, during uh, the wake, I was just looking back at all the pictures and he's just always in a goofy pose, you know, being a jokester. And yes. that was just something that drew me to him. And I was kind of like always more reserved. I, I wasn't about being in the spotlight or challenging myself to do different things, but he got me to do things like snowboarding, which like I would just not do. And like actually became a pretty decent snowboarder because of him. And I, even as an adult, like I never would have thought to take dance classes, but he got me to take hip hop dance classes and actually perform, uh, which is just something I wouldn't do. So he was someone who would just always challenge me. And, um, you know, that, that was something that, you know, some people would be easy on me and just kind of, you know, let me do my thing. But he was just kind of he would try to get me out of, you know, my own box and like where I felt safe and um, like to put myself a little bit out there. So he, he is just someone who meant a lot to me. He stood up in um, my wedding 10 years ago and um, you know, like he had always been there for me. Like when I had gone through my own personal mental health issues, you know, I had, a suicide attempt um, back in 2013. And um, there had been other instances where I had gone through um, some situations where I had to be inpatient um, at a psychiatric um, treatment facility actually several times. And whenever I had tried to reach out or, you know, not even just to him, like I would just kind of you know, maybe post something on Facebook about like being sad or depressed. And he would check up on me, he would call me to make sure that I was okay. And even when um, 
you know, we hadn't been talking for like a couple of months, you know, with me being like a parent and everything, he would go out of his way to come and see me and, you know, make it out for me. And that just like meant the world to me, the fact that he was a support person and I didn't even have to like ask and reach out to him specifically. He was just that person who would do that for me. It, it sounds so much like Alan that you just described in a heartbeat because I remembered um, talking to one of his colleagues. One of the first things he told me about Alan was when he first came into real estate, as a lot of folks may, I don't know how people feel about real estate agents these days, but uh, but the reputation of real estate agents come off as bad as say a used car salesperson. I mean, that's this was what we were taught about real estate agents for a long period of time. And and one of his colleagues said, Alan is way too nice to be a real estate agent. He and and I thought to myself, yes, I thought so my I, I thought so too, because this is a man who you feel like you could trust immediately. He would have your back. Uh, he was very sensitive, very thoughtful. And and honestly, um, there are people in our own field that are like, ah, I don't know if he's cut off for this kind of work, right? And so as he started to progress in his time there, clients loved him. I mean, they loved him for that very reason. It's because he was genuine. He was always working to see the uh, final results uh, for any for any of his clients. He was always there to pull through. He was also there for a lot of our colleagues. He really made sure that everyone was being taken care of. So everything you just mentioned sounds a lot like what his whole life has been, which is being a service to others and mm -hmm. bringing spark into people's lives, including yours. And I think that's really awesome that he has, <clears throat> that he has um, motivated you to take on different activities, hobbies, things that you may not have considered. So it's incredible. And um, and when you were talking about your, uh, specifically in 2013, when you nearly had, uh, when you had suicide ideation, when you were hospitalized, what, maybe going back further, was mental health a long stemming issue as a child and and up until your adulthood yeah um definitely um i have some trauma in my past uh i actually as a young child around six to about seven um i experienced some sexual abuse and uh i hadn't realized um, until probably about my adulthood, maybe in my 20s, that it had really affected me. And, you know, it's, I, I never, you know, up until that time, I never thought of like, oh, I'm a victim of, you know, this, you know, this horrible thing that happened to me. I just thought, oh, it's just something that happened in my life. And, you know, I wasn't, um, it wasn't violent. And so therefore, it's not that big of a deal. It was. It honestly wasn't until later, after my my suicide attempt, that um, that I kind of like fully realized that. I mean, in my teenage years, um, I just thought like, oh, I'm a teenager and I'm just wild and um, you know hormones or whatever, and I, this is just how I am. And looking back, I'm like, okay, those were like a lot of manic symptoms that I was exhibiting during those times. Um, and, you know, I, I did go through a bit of depression. So um, I did seek professional help. I wasn't diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. It was just, you know, what was, I think, what I saw as something that was not me that I didn't think was me was a depression. I did not consider, you know, oh, me being wild and crazy and doing risky things is something that is not me. I just thought like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a fun wild girl and this is, that's just who I am. Um, and that was, a, you know, like a result of my strict uh, upbringing in, in, you know, my household. 
And uh, so I just kind of normalize it as like, oh yeah, that's just who I am. Um, and then in my 20s, like I think I did fairly well. I didn't, you know, as far as mental health goes, you know, I was kind of like, I finished school, you know, college and I got my into my career pretty quickly. And I didn't really have like a whole lot of stressors. Uh, I was, you know, taking care of my body and, you know, self-care. So it was like all about me and, you know, my, my, husband or then boyfriend at the time. So um, I didn't, I wasn't on any medication or anything like that. And it wasn't really until um, I, after I had my oldest son who is now seven, um, that I had realized that I was getting into uh, postpartum depression. Mm. And when you look back uh, during your pregnancy of your oldest son, what signs did you start seeing that this is going in a very wrong direction, especially with postpartum, uh, postpartum depression? I know uh, the mm -hmm. other day I was just having a very good discussion with one of my close friends whose wife gave birth to twins and she ended up having postpartum. And I also feel like this is a topic that does not get talked about. And because there's so much shame, especially for new mothers who mm -hmm. are experiencing these symptoms and mm -hmm. how to talk about it and how to acknowledge right. that this is an area that needs to be examined. So I'm just very yeah. curious to, to go into what, uh, what started to make you feel like this is going in a very wrong direction here. Yeah. Um, I mean, ab absolutely. It, to me, it was so gradual. Um, I think, um, you know, a lot of things, you know, kind of like how I normalized my wild behavior as, you know, a teenager, I was looking at it as like, well, you know, I'm a mom and I'm not sleeping that well. Like my son isn't sleeping through the night and I'm a working mom and this is just all normal. This is all, you know, par for the course. And, um, like for me, one of the things, like, I don't know if um, a lot of, you know, ob do this, but um, there's, you know, checkups. And during these checkups, the, they have you fill out like a questionnaire, which pretty much like asks you, like, do you still enjoy, you know, everyday activities? Like, how are you sleeping? Um, pretty much to kind of uh, see where you score on, um, how, how you're feeling and, you know, kind of like when I saw as I was filling out the results, like, oh yeah, I'm not enjoying things. I'm not sleeping well, I'm not eating well. I am stressed a lot, uh, is kind of when I'm like, wow. Um, but, but the symptoms were there, you know, again, I was just kind of like, oh, you know, this is just part of the mom life. And I, you know, how, how would I have known? Like, I never would have thought that to, to really think about something like that, especially as someone who was in my 20s, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, my depression is a thing of the past. Like I did, I mm -hmm. didn't experience a whole lot of symptoms. <clears throat> um, but one thing that I did definitely want to mention is for me, especially, um, it was shortly after I stopped breastfeeding. And uh, it's not something that I recall hearing talked about, you know, it's just like, I've heard of like postpartum depression, but for me, and especially having it happen a second time with my, you know, my five-year-old when, after I stopped breastfeeding him, I'm like, okay, there's definitely something hormonal that was going on, you know, during that time that, that really kind of like led me for my, you know, emotions to go kind of haywire and like my moods to go up and down. Um, but I, I think it really is, important to to assess kind of like yourself um on like where you are and it, like when you're a, a new mom really to to kind of like be okay about thinking maybe something is up and maybe i should see a professional even just to um have you know someone say like to, to confirm like whatever it is I think a lot of times you know moms just want to take on everything you just have so much responsibility and your duties to be you know a mother and you know take care of a life you a, a lot of times like we would wind up putting our own self-care on the back burner and I, I definitely did that 
I definitely did that a lot. Mm, and how long did it take for you to <clears throat> seek the help uh, from the time that you gave birth and when you were experiencing these symptoms? Um, I would like to say maybe about two months. I would say about two months because um, a lot of the feelings that I was having it started getting into ideation. It started getting into these um, these <clears throat> thoughts that were uh, intrusive. So it's not like I was actively thinking them. It would just be, you know, for instance, I would be driving my car and I would think, oh, I wonder if I would, you know, hit like an oncoming car or like get into a crash. It's not like I was like, oh, I want to do this. It was just, wow, I cannot get this image out of my head and also where I work. Um, it, I work on the third floor and I you could see all the way down to the first floor. And I just remember thinking, mm, I wonder like what would happen if I would just like fall off the ledge here and just, you know, crack my skull open and just oh. die. Um, mm. Or feeling like I just want to disappear. I just there were there was a lot of negative self-talk also associated with that um i never had like an active plan or anything that i like was like this is how i'm gonna do it but um there was a lot of that feeling like i feel alone i feel unloved you know i think especially when you have uh an infant there's not a lot of um uh kind of like a reciprocal love that you get from an infant. Like sometimes, you know, it's different. I have a five and seven year old, you know, I come home and they're like, oh, mommy. And like, they, they give me a big hug, but uh -huh. you know, an infant, it's just like, you just, they just have needs, you know, yes. they poop, they cry and, you know, they need milk or, you know, they need to be held or whatever it is. Sometimes it's just so hard. Um, and, and I think especially with my, my older son uh, realizing, you know, that he was colicky. We didn't even know that he was colicky when he was an infant. We found out that he was after we had our second child. And my husband and I thought that there was something wrong with our second child because he would never cry. Like he was just so content. Like I could put him in his crib and he would just entertain himself. And we're just mm. like, oh, like what's what's with this kid? Like it's yeah. just like he's he's not you know, and then we're like, oh my gosh, like my oldest son was so inconsolable. I had to like wear him on me all the time. And like, he always had to be held. So, um, you know, I think just like that also had like a, a definite impact, but I don't even think for, you know, like, even if it wasn't like that, I definitely would have had symptoms as well. I think it's just something like that exacerbated it and made it even worse. Yeah. And also like with your husband who was obviously a witness to what you were struggling mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. How important was his support during that time? And did he have an understanding of what you were going through? And were you able to verbalize those um, concerns to him? I think the problem was I was that I didn't have that awareness. So it's like I can look at look back at it and you know hindsight is you know 2020. Um, but at that time, it was it was really hard for me to, to articulate like what it was that I was feeling, um, and to really even acknowledge that it was as bad as it was. Um, but like once once it came to the point where you know my professional healthcare, you know um, the people that I was dealing with said like, okay, this is you know this is an issue, and you need to get on some medications. Then he he, he he's he was very supportive and he's always been supportive of me. And, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really thankful because the, the kind of person that my husband is, is like, he doesn't care about gender roles. Like that doesn't matter yeah. to him. Like traditions don't matter to him. What people did in like the fifties, like that the dance dads were hands off. That's not him. Like he's like, you know, Smash rolling up patriarchy. his patriarchy. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's not like this macho guy that has anything to prove. You know, he was changing diapers. He was getting up in the middle of the night, you know, with the bottles and he was just so, so completely supportive. Like when it was, it was hard for me to like, once I was done with work and I would come home, my capacity for much else was just really low. I, I it was, 
it was hard for me to do anything other than just take care of our son. So when it came to like household chores, cleaning up, you know, doing laundry, you know, doing things like that, it was, it was so completely like almost unbearable for me. Like I had no capacity, no bandwidth to handle it. And, you know, I'm so grateful to have a husband like mine who was just like very understanding um, to, to know that like I have, you know, a, a serious issue and that, you know, like one of my fears is that, oh, you know, she's just lazy or she's just faking it or she wants to get away with it, you know. Um, and and he was not like that at all. He never made me feel guilty. Oh, that's awesome. And also in your family was mental health an issue that you were able to talk about with your parents, your siblings? I would say at first not so much not so much um i think it's there was really nobody in my family who had mental health or at least admitted to any mental health issues and so i think there was a lot of the stigma behind it where it's like oh make don't tell anyone because people think you're crazy you know they think like one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something that like i'm just like you know psychotic or something along those lines and um you know so i i would say the first couple times around you know at least as far as me having you know these kind of like uh you know manic episodes depressive episodes they weren't as um supportive and i think it wasn't based out of not wanting to i think it was just they didn't understand it and because they weren't really understanding it it didn't seem like something that was um as serious as it, as it truly was yeah because i know in our asian pacific islander communities here and outside mental health stigmas are so rampant and one of the things that I've learned, especially from my own upbringing, like my dad has had mental health issues uh, coming out of the Khmer Rouge during the Killing Fields era where he nearly escaped death. But even going way before that, I've learned that my grandma on his side, uh, family secrets started spelling out that she had mm -hmm. depression and that mm -hmm. she uh, was becoming overwhelmed with taking care of several kids, like at the start of the Vietnam War. And she became... Uh, very depressed when they started losing their property. They couldn't, uh, they were falling into debt. And so that carried a lot of weight on her. And this is what I had heard. So we often think about the intergenerational traumatic effects. And this is something that I've always had a very keen interest in. But when you talk about how family members, uh, as, including yours, um, aren't sure of the language of mental health, and think it's just, oh, someone's just going crazy or we just can't talk about it. We just don't mm -hmm. want to be seen as crazy. It's detrimental because mm -hmm. what we don't know about our history can really lead us down this uncertain path, especially when it's tied to something that's very genetic in some mm -hmm. cases. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was also uh, very curious to know, like, given after the last several years, we, are you able to have those discussions with your family now uh, than you did back in your 20s? Or do you feel they are more understanding of what yeah. you're going through? Yeah, yeah. I think they're definitely more understanding um, with my condition. I think something that was kind of hard for them was that I started to become vocal on social media platforms about it. And it's not that like I wanted to force them to read it, but it was it was for myself, you know, definitely to be to have that transparency after hiding it, you know, the first couple times around, like the only thing that hiding it did was bring about more shame that gave me this feeling of wrongness of not trying hard enough to be better. Like, oh, just, you know, snap out of it or, you know, I'm, I'm not strong enough or I'm weak or, you know, that, mm -hmm. that, that essentially that there is a, a defect in me. And um, the, the way that I, 
kind of talk about it, you know, just, just overall is that, you know, it's an illness and it's, it's an illness of the brain. Like there's a chemical imbalance that, you know, for me, and I have to, I have to be medicated. I tried to do it without medication. Um, and like, it's, it's been difficult. Like I've, I, I have learned very hard lessons, like several times to go like, okay, you know, me not being on medication is probably not a good idea. So I think in, in my case, like it, it's, it's something that helps keep me stable. I would say therapy is even more so important and physical, physical health, to be quite honest with you, diet and exercise. So I'm kind of like at a point right now where I have like the past couple, the past year has been pretty difficult for me overall, just, you know, like, especially, you know, with Alan's passing, but even prior to that, I had kind of a rough winter and I stopped taking care of my physical body. Like I ate like garbage all the time, just junk food and just ate whatever I want. And I would just not even work out. And, and the, the effects of that were, yeah, I mean, I gained weight and, and stuff, but like the, the most negative side effect was what it did to my mental health. Mm. So, um, that was really hard. Um, but like, you know, with my family and being able to talk to them about it more, uh, it's, it's really helpful to have them, you know, be more open to it and you know like even them being curious about it and asking me how I'm doing um without kind of you know it the when they like walk on eggshells you know yeah. now it's like a genuine concern where they really want to know if I'm doing well yeah. so um that's 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 reassuring for me yeah also what ways do you feel let's say this is like one of my favorite annoying topics is when you are going through a mental health crisis or definitely in a time of need, what would you say are the things that would annoy you uh, from <laughs> getting friends? Because I can tell you mm -hmm. several things on my end, but I'm just mm -hmm. very curious to know, what would you say are the things that you find to be very detrimental from your own experiences? Um, I, I mentioned it earlier, yes. but when people say snap out of it, like, or, you know, just think differently, like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. I could, let me just like turn that happy switch on um, <laughs> or yeah, think about something else or, oh, the one that really gets to me, like, think of everything you have you you are grateful for think of your kids like well of course I think of my kids like I, I do care about them but yes. it's it's so overwhelming like especially when it comes to depression and anxiety that um you know just feeling like a burden or feeling so overwhelmed um you know in in my case like I've been trying to pay attention to my body and what I've realized is that um, when you're so overwhelmed in my case actually is that I just get into this fight or flight mode and then it's just like I just want to disappear I just want whatever the mental discomfort that I'm going through mm -hmm. it's actually a very visceral experience so when you experience anxiety you, you know I sweat my hands start to tingle um, I start to get like shallow breath and so it's like it's something that that occurs these physical symptoms that occur from being in that fight or flight mode. So, um, yeah, like I think when, what irritates me is like when people try to solve my problems, I'm like, yes. really like walk in my yes. shoes, please walk in my <laughs> shoes and tell me how, how easy it is. Like, I would love to do that. Like, it's like, so minimizing mm -hmm. and it's so reductive and I, yeah, like, or, you know, tr you should go outside or. Oh, yeah, go for should, a walk. Uh, and You should take the, you mm -hmm. should take this amazing green tea. I just mm -hmm. talking. It's mm -hmm. like, well, I, I think my body, mind requires more than that. Mm -hmm. and, and also, yeah, which gets into uh, the next uh, follow-up question is, what do you do for, uh, what is your method of practicing self-care uh, when you are going through mo these moments that can come out of nowhere 
And yeah. <laughs> you, and are you able to get to the point where you're able to practice self-care? Because I, it, it's it's hard to imagine, like, once you are in an episode, like, how do I de-escalate myself? Mm-hmm. Who do I turn to? Where mm-hmm. am I at? Mm-hmm. Who's near me? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, in terms of, like, you know, practicing your own self-care and, and having self-awareness of what's going on, how do you work to get to that point? You know, it's really funny that you mentioned that because I um, had a crisis moment today um, Mm -hmm. that I was not able to get through in the moment. Um, And so right now I'm actually in an intensive outpatient program for trauma, um, something that, you know, Alan's passing had uh, influenced, which really triggered, um, like, of course, that impacted me a lot, his his death, but it triggered my own personal suicide attempt that looking back at the other times I've been in inpatient and outpatient, I've never addressed it. I've never addressed that trauma. Mm. So it, like, it really shook me in in a very like personal way um so today one of the things that i was worrying about is you know i'm wrapping up with program and i will be going to work soon and i kind of just became flooded by it where it's just like wow okay i'm going to work soon and then i just you know started ruminating and I just hit like a downward spiral and I, I was not able to use any of the skills because I wasn't able to calm down my body. And um, it was funny because like, I'm so glad that it actually happened while I was in program because I was able to talk to my therapist there and to come up with a plan. So it's just like, okay, I had like this really bad moment and uh, to not think of, okay, you know, once, once you do something, you figure it out and you're always going to do that. Like it made me realize that I'm still continually learning about myself and kind of like looking at these moments as, as learning experiences, because, you know, what may work one time may not work another time. And, um, you know, like I haven't been sleeping well. So if you're not taking care of your body very well, then you may be more susceptible to having more um, extreme reactions to things. So, um, you know, I've, I've been kind of thinking about other things that I can do um, in the moment. Like one of the things that I noticed was that um, I just was very willful about not wanting to admit where I was. So not even setting the intention of trying to fix it. I see that I didn't do that. Um, And I think like just something like really quick, like um, one of the things that, that my therapist had recommended was like, okay, you know, just do things that you know, flood the senses in some other way that distracts for a moment so that you can take whatever your anxiety is telling you. Because when you have anxiety, it's not a bad thing because the anxiety is is a signal. It's a sign that something is up, something is bothering you. Um, so it's good to address it. But when it becomes to the point where it's just so overwhelming, you kind of have to put that aside and you can't use like, well, let me come up with a pros and cons list and let me write down the things that I'm grateful for. Um, You kind of have to like stop your body from going through all that, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, something for me to think about that I have to try is, you know, try, you know, chewing ice cubes, you know, washing my face with like cold water, um, doing some really active exercise, putting on, you know, my favorite dance song and then just like dancing it out or just like shaking or something. Like you kind of have to shake it out of your body. And once your body calms down, then you can start to use your mental capacity to mm-hmm. kind of like calm yourself. Cause if you're trying to like go like, just calm down, just calm down. That's not going to work. That's that's right. you know maybe for some people, but um, in, in my particular case, it's, that's not helpful at all. Yeah, and I think what I've learned or what we've learned from this conversation is that mental health, mental health, uh, 
treatment in general is so nonlinear for everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone has very different requirements. Mm -hmm. There's different traumas. There's mm -hmm. different genetics. There's uh, different uh, things at play that there's no right. one correct way to point it out. And I think one of the biggest myths of mental health is that, oh, well, I've gone through counseling for the past eight mm -hmm. months or mm -hmm. I'm taking medication. I'm, mm -hmm. I should be okay. I don't think mm -hmm. I need any more of it. And mm -hmm. what I've learned is that mental health, as we get older, adjusts to our body as we evolve, right? Mm -hmm. So it does tend to adapt to how mm -hmm. our body and how we grow as people. So it's up for us to try to <laughs> try to uh, get one step ahead to to uh, to find a way to keep mm -hmm. those demons at bay, and it, it, I feel like it, it takes so much to keep this to uh, work with what you're going through and to uh, process uh, the nature of our own mental health issues. So, yeah, I, I think this is a very good learning uh, point that we are having these important discussions on is that it never ends for us. It's a mm -hmm. lifelong. It's uh, a life. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I need to remind myself that it's going to need continual maintenance. It's not like, yay, I've graduated and never right. have to like face that again. It's something that I will, it will be, I'll have to contend with it for the rest of my life and um, to just be okay with that. And that's just, um, I, it's not like I'm just gonna like, oh, I'm destined for failure. I'm destined to have to go to like inpatient or outpatient all the time, but it's just something for me to be aware of. And then just having that awareness actually has been really helpful. Um, I think that I would not be able to address the issues that I have if I wasn't um, making myself aware that like, okay, I'm noticing that I'm feeling uh, a little bit more down than usual. Oh, I'm noticing I'm being more irritable. Um, and that without it, uh, I think there's, you're, you're not going to help yourself really. And um, I'm, in my case, I used to lean into kind of like the, when I would get depressed, I would lean into the depression and kind of go like, oh, I deserve to feel this way. And mm -hmm. this is how it has to be. Or I am a, I am depressed. I'm this d depressed person. Um, and I, I try to remind myself that I really don't want to suffer. I don't want to waste my mental effort on that. Um, and, it, and it's hard sometimes in the moment, you know, one of the things that, you know, in, in CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, it's a very common type of therapy is, you know, they say like facts or feelings are not facts, which mm -hmm. like sometimes it's like, oh, I feel like I'm, I'm a failure, therefore I am a failure or, you know, things like that. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of, remembering those things like I have to um, rewire and you know to your point like when you're saying everyone has everyone is different everyone has like different backgrounds and pasts and stuff um, you know for me like my coping mechanism is to freeze and also like pretend like things aren't happening which you know like I can't ignore you know this this stuff because I, I won't address it and I'll like pretend like it's in a way like being you know delusional and denying reality and how things really are so it's like I, I go through I've gone through so much suffering where I'm like okay I have the awareness of that sometimes I just let myself get into it and I don't do anything to get myself out and I'm like, oh, that's never really helped me before. So, um, you know, I think it is really helpful to at least identify it. Oh, that's just beautiful. And I'm glad that you're proactively recognizing and also still keeping up and, and working to uh, continue to survive because surviving is very hard. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a whole, it's, it's you can win battles, lose battles, but the war is never over. It's a, it's a constant battle that you're going through, and I'm glad that you're still, you know, fighting, uh, being proactive, and and also seeking the support that you deserve. And I think mm -hmm. that I think it's so beautiful and very important to, to uh, be aware of. And mm -hmm. I thank you so much for bringing that up. Uh, more recently, you actually 
in honor of Alan, you created the uh, suicide walk in honor of Alan Lau uh, about several weeks ago at the end of September. So I was wondering if you could tell us about that walk that you had done and how much money did you raise? Because I saw the numbers. They were very uh, positive. So yeah. I, I, like, I was very... I was very moved by it. I wish I could have been there for it, but I was watching you all from afar. Yeah, and I, I know how supportive you were. And, um, you know, I'm so I'm so thankful for that, that you, you know, you cared about um, the cause. And, you know, of course, Alan, as much as you did, you know, that, that warms my heart. Like, I, I feel like his memory deserves and his life deserves to be celebrated. Um, but yeah, uh, I walked in um, the Out of the Darkness walk in Chicago, uh, which was kind of organized by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, I set a fundraising goal of $2,000 and we wound up making um, just around $3,800. Wow. And uh, I was just like blown away by that. And um, the walk is actually something that I had participated in about two years ago for the very first time. And really what it is, is to spread awareness about um, suicide and suicide prevention and to celebrate those we've lost to suicide and for the people who, to suicide survivors, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are extremely affected outside the loved ones of the people who commit suicide. And it's, it was such a, a positive experience. It's very uplifting. The support you see, like you'll see signs, like people like free hugs and, you know, Aww. I see you and, you know, you are not alone. And it's, it's really, good to kind of see that, that, you know, they're, they're, you know, the similar to mental health, like when people look at, you know, suicide, it's like, oh, what was wrong with them? Like, oh, there's, you know, there's, there's such um, a negative view. And I think a lot of times by people who have no experience with suicide, they're like, oh, how could they be so selfish? Like, how could those people do things like that? And, you know, for me personally, I've actually been told by someone that I was selfish for, um, for making a suicide attempt. And, you know, that it still affects me. Like, I still think about it. Like, I, I think, you know, the person just really didn't understand, um, but like, I understand, like, I get why someone would say that who has like no experience with, you know, mental illness or like feeling that way at all. Um, so, I mean, I, I just try to respond with uh, compassion and, and um, what was actually, which is a lot to do because um, I do get very irritated when I hear that word mm -hmm. selfish, because mm -hmm. of course people who are, looking to complete that mission or mm -hmm. they are aware of who their families are who, what they would be leaving behind and sometimes it's i can't speak on people who have completed suicide but when uh, a person goes through that there's certain things that just go beyond our control yeah. in those moments. And sometimes the help is not there immediately, like mm -hmm. when it's needed. And, and mm -hmm. I feel that what you're doing for, uh, for AFSP, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the resources that we do have to find ways to make sure that there are more resources available, there's more dialogues about mm -hmm. this. So mm -hmm. that way we won't have more folks who are determined to complete the mission, hopefully yeah. that will be lessened and that we can mm -hmm. find a way to, to lessen the impact of someone mm -hmm. looking to go through that mission, yeah. which is a very lonely and very heartbreaking journey to yeah. end. But yeah, I, I think yeah, when you mentioned the word selfish, it's, 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 it's why I feel that suicide is such a big stigma in our communities is hearing that word is mm -hmm. 
a hard conversation to openly mm -hmm. confront. Mm -hmm. uh, for for uh, one of the beautiful things I saw from the uh, walk is that you brought his sister and his mother. And I was wondering if you were able to share a little bit about that experience, because I know when a family loses their loved one, especially if, if you're an Asian American person, mm -hmm. it's hard to go through that, uh, to be reminded and to be re-triggered by a loved one's loss. So I was wondering uh, what, if you were able to share that, because I thought it was the most beautiful thing that I saw out of like everything that I've seen from the photos and mm -hmm. the community bonding that you all experienced. But mm -hmm. what did it feel like for his family when you brought them? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I had been given a piece of advice from, you know, my boss, who's also my mentor, um, and she had shared um, a, an experience that she had observed from one of her friends who um, her, she lost her brother. And during that time, um, for a period of about like two years um, from her brother's death, her mom would cry every single day like just without fail, she would cry. And um, her friend and her uh, other sibling would just kind of tiptoe around the topic of, you know, their brother because they didn't want to upset their mother. And, um, you know, something that kind of really struck me was that um, they kind of realized that not talking about him made things worse because, in her mom's eyes, she thought that she had to cry every day to remember him because nobody else was remembering him. And mm -hmm. so when they were finally able to talk about him openly, she was able to not have to go through that of like crying. Like she, mm -hmm. that is what she wanted. She wanted his, his memory to still be alive in their hearts. And, you know, like I, I remembered her saying that and, and it really struck me because I can't do anything for Ellen right now in this physical world, but what's important to me is to offer support to the people that he cared about. And um, during, during the walk, we had a, a big group of people come, which was like really great. I had designed some shirts, which you you purchase yes. and you probably wear. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, all of us, there were a number of us who were there first. We were all wearing the shirts. And as I see his sister and his mom walk up, I just see how, I saw how overwhelmed she was. Mm. And um, I, I think it was definitely a, a bittersweet thing. Um, but I think that meant a lot to her, like, because even myself thinking of, you know, God forbid, if anything happened to like one of my, ch I would hate to just like never talk about him. Um, I would want, or them, like I would want, um, uh, them to be remembered, like, and, and to be celebrated. So I, I think, I think that's important because he, he did have an impact and he still continues to have an impact on me. You know, I, I still think about like how involved that I want to get in being an advocate, like trying to um, spread awareness. Like I, you know, maybe people on social media are like sick of me talking about it, but I think it's something that needs to be talked about. Um, you know, one, one thing that like I recall happening was, you know, after I posted about Alan's death, um, a friend of me, a friend of mine had texted me and she's just like, oh, I'm so sorry about, you know, your friend. Um, you know, uh, like I didn't, I didn't say at that point it was like a, a suicide, but then she had asked and I was like, yeah, it was. And she's just like, oh my gosh, that's the third suicide that I've heard about in the last five days. And, you know, I think it's like it's starting to become closer to home for a lot of people where it's just like, okay, this is a, a real thing. Like, even when you think about 
um, you know, a, a lot of military veterans, you yes. know, a lot of times they suffer from, you know, PTSD and yeah. they come back into the world and they're, they're, you know, the, the, their normal life. And it's, they have a lot of trauma that is not addressed. And you know, unfortunately, these, these people who have served our, our country become victims to things like Absolutely. suicide. Also, you know, a lot of, you know, I think recently there was a um, the suicide of a, a Chicago police officer. So I mean, it's 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 a big deal. You it know? is, and also even in, like in the LGBTQ plus community, <laughs> I've learned a lot about transgender women of color who have. There's a large uh, a large disproportionate rate of suicides in that community too that mm -hmm. we're not also talking about. And we're not digging into the roots of where a lot of these traumas in these communities are stemming from and how it leads into the self-harm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and looking back on the walk, and I know that you are going to continue to advocate for mental health, which is so awesome. What do you think Alan must be thinking of right now after, even though he's not physically here, but what do you think he's thinking right now? And uh, especially with what you're doing and especially in the dialogue that we're talking about. Yeah, I'm like, I just know that Alan would never want to see anyone deal with this. You know, when I was going through like my crises, like he was there, he didn't, he, he wouldn't tolerate it. Like he wanted to help. So I, I think the fact that, um, you know, I'm doing this and like he, he never would have wanted for anyone to feel bad about his death like I know that and I know you know from my personal experience like with my my suicide attempt like I I thought it was honestly at that point like I felt selfless I thought that my family was better off without me mm -hmm. like I wanted to better their lives I you know it's not like I just thought of myself as a burden. I thought that I was a horrible wife, a horrible mother, that somebody else would be a better, you know, spouse for my husband and, you know, mother to my child, that I was just not fit to do it. So I thought I was doing it for their benefit because I did not think that I could be better than who I was, which, you know, I thought that I was a failure. And, and that's like one of the things like with mental illness, like I truly believe those things and I didn't feel that I had the capacity to do any more than that. Like that was just my, you know, belief at the time. Um, so I think that Ellen would truly appreciate what it is that I'm doing and the fact that um, uh, I'm trying to um, actually make some connections with a lot of his friends that, you know, I, I was friends with too, not, not close friends, but, um, you know, I've, I've established a relationship with you yeah. and, um, you know, a couple of other people that like used to hang out and Alan would kind of be like the center. And then we would all kind of like gravitate around him. Like he wasn't the kind of person who, you know, he had one circle of friends, you know, it wasn't like right. the show friends where it's just like this group. He had like multiple groups of friends from like his different experiences in life. And he was all about <laughs> all about bringing everyone together and you know like a lot of us had been talking about that like oh yeah you know alan loved food he was such a foodie let's like let's go on like a food crawl in his memory you know let's, awesome. let's get together so you know i'm totally down with that and you know it's it's something that you know all of us share and i think he would just love that yeah that is just awesome because when i look back on at Alan, like especially with this past year, one of the things I've always remembered him is that he would always root for people. I mean, including myself. Like when I went to Red Ferno, which is our annual conference, I was dressed up in this ridiculous lighted cape. I had this hat with the peacock feathers, um, and then I had the lighted suspenders, and I was out dancing. And he just came up to me and says, "You completely rocked it," and <laughs> he just couldn't get enough of it. And I was like, I. 
you know, for the longest time, I've always wanted to please him in some ways because he was such an altruistic person. And I always felt like he's the kind of person I would want to work hard for because he was so good to people. He was good to me. He was good to a lot of folks. And to get his validation felt special to me. And so when you talk about Alan, the way he rooted for others, I'm sure right mm -hmm. now he's got to be super pleased about what's going on and that you mm -hmm. haven't forgotten um, the memories that he created. I, I saw the photos that you had sent me a while back and it made me smile. It actually made me, you know, appreciate his presence, his presence. And, and also, you know, when I was going through my own period of time, when I felt very sad looking back in those moments that I wasn't uh, a part of, I felt like I had this vicarious um, relationship with them going through these photos, like, oh my gosh, uh, he went to Napa Valley. I was just there a few months ago. And, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this dude, I really wish I could have done these things with him because we would have had a blast. But I'm also grateful that he created those memories for all of his friends and family mm -hmm. so that way they can you know remember them fondly uh well long after his passing um i wanted to ask you so where can we find your blog and your social media that uh, especially in your postings on mental health where can we find them yeah so my um, instagram handle is mama underscore jlay j a, or sorry, let me do that over. <laughs> Mama, M-A-M-A uh, -A -A underscore J-L-E-Y, J -L -E -Y. Um, that's my Instagram handle, and um, my website you can get to, it's, it's hosted on Facebook, but you can get to it at MamaJLay.com. Yeah, also, the last question is, and I just thought of it uh, at some point in our conversation, what are three beautiful things you can say about yourself? Oh. What can I say? Um, I I like to help people. I like to make people laugh, uh, pretty much. Um, I like having a good time. Uh, if music is on, um, if there's like nobody on the dance floor, like at a club or at a wedding, I will be the first person there. Like I don't care. Awesome. Uh, I just I just love dancing. I'm not like a professional dancer. I took a hip hop dance class once and I did a performance, but you know, I just I just like to have fun. And um, I I think I'm I'm a I'm a creative person. Like on the side, I like to do photography. You know, that's something that is a, a really great creative outlet for me. And um, I've actually started doing it uh, a little bit more than do I, in the past I've done a, a lot of events. Oh, I've even had some photo shoots with Alan um, oh. that I'm trying to find those pictures, but like they Please were on do. Facebook, yeah. And uh, yeah, so. Oh, thank you so much. I also wanted to say before I sign off here, is that uh, I'm so thankful to have this conversation with you. I'm so grateful that we became friends, even though it came at a very challenging circumstance, but I'm very grateful that his loss allowed us the opportunity to connect. And I'm just really grateful for you being so candid and being very brave in sharing your own journey, uh, even though it hasn't always been the most pleasant of rides, but you've been very brave in navigating through so much turbulence and you're still here you're you know you're doing something that's very proactive that's going to be very helpful for all of our communities who are still struggling mm -hmm. with suicide ideation self-harm mm -hmm. and what have you so i'm very mm -hmm. thankful for the time that you've spent sharing and also honoring alan's memory uh it, it means a lot to me being his friend and colleague mm -hmm. but also it means a lot to a lot of his uh loved ones who are hopefully will be able to listen to this yeah and i i will say that one of the things that has really helped me get through this um, really difficult period was putting my energy into something positive so i could have spent the time you know sulking and then just you know feeling depressed. Um, but when I redirected that energy towards something that was value-based, something that I cared about, I felt energized. I felt like I was making a difference. And, and that was very impactful for me. So um, I think, you know, 
going through a difficult time, you know, that would be a coping mechanism that, that, that I have that um, I like to share with other people is, you know, do what makes you feel good and, and something that, you know, maybe if you can't do anything for yourself, maybe try to do something for someone else to a cause that you care about for a person that you care about. Um, sometimes when you're in a funk, it at least will help you get out of that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you've yeah. you, uh, invited me to your new podcast. Like it's very exciting. I'm so glad that, you know, you someone, I know you said that um, Asian American Pacific uh, people like they have podcasts like in you know the West Coast but not so much in the Midwest so um, you know this is really awesome. I think it's it's been a really good experience and also to have these conversations that are very important for our communities um, and I'm also hoping that you will continue this work uh, doing the walk every year perhaps, or, um, and also doing other projects that are, um, that are from your own heart and from your own experience and the, the blood, sweat and tears that you've been putting into the, your, your work on this important work. And also you as a mother, I mean, you're, you're, you're raising two wonderful mm-hmm. kids and teaching them about life and being very honest and being transparent about the process. So mm-hmm. I can't wait to hear more about your blog. I can't wait to hear uh, what's in store for you in the next uh, near future. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Same for you. Well, thank you so much, Joanna. And keep us up to date and best of luck to you moving forward. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.